from the Cliff Lions Biology Centre at the CSIRO, it's the Rugby League Cemetery. Yes, this is the Rugby League Cemetery. Very good to have you with us for another instalment. We are delving again into the Rugby League Cemetery and looking at the 1987 Grand Final, Manly 18, Canberra 8, in front of 50,201 on an unseasonably sweltering SCG. And Gaz, uh, this game is not the most, it's not the closest, it's not a thriller, it's not the most competitive game, but it is wildly enjoyable because the quality of football in the 1980s is unlike anything I think that we have seen in our lifetime. Absolutely, absolutely. Loved watching this uh, wonderful game of football. And, and you're right, whilst it doesn't finish in a super close game and it's pretty clear for most of it who's going to win, I think this is an important game because the standard is just wonderful. Uh, Manly uh, plays absolutely beautiful brand of open football for the majority of this game for all but the, maybe the last 10 minutes. They are just throwing the ball around, hooping back inside, making breaks and, and Canberra, to their very much to their credit, put their gloves up and probably avoid uh, a 30-point loss that I think they quite easily could have suffered given the standard of the football and the line breaks and everything Manly were playing. This was very much Manly's moment, Manly's day, uh, that where they just play this beautiful, exquisite blend of football for large parts of the game. A couple of really great players that they have on their team show their medal on the big day in Canberra, throw their gloves up, but just not quite there to challenge them, are they? No, not quite. And this is, I guess, the development of these two sides has a bit to do with that. This is, as you say, this is Manly's year. Uh, they finished first with 41 points, uh, six points clear of second on the table, uh, 18 wins, a draw and five losses. Uh, they'd been in the finals every year since 81, except for the uh, losing in a playoff in 85. Uh, they'd lost the grand finals to Parramatta in 82 and 83. Uh, and they were just, they had They'd had those defeats and then rebuilt the side, uh, so much so that uh, Noel Cleal and Paul Voughton, I think, were the only two from the 83 grand final that play four years later. Um, Bob Fulton took over in 83 and completely reconstructed the team. They finished fourth in 86, but they signed Michael O'Connor for 87, uh, and they moved Cliffy Lyons to 5'8 for good in 87. And uh, that this, this is this is an incredibly dominant year where they go into the grand final as very short price favourites, um, having won 12 in a row in the middle of the season, which is, you know, it's a science fiction. Not bad running, is it? It's not bad no. running at all. No, it's not bad at all. Uh, they beat uh, Easts 10-6 in the major semi-finals, so they only had to play one game in the finals to get through to this game. Uh, the Raiders, by contrast, had finished third. This was their first visit to the finals. And so you've got this Manly team that has been very successful in the 70s, rebuilt themselves in the 80s, are absolutely peaking, playing against a Raiders side that is, this is the start of a very long period of dominance in the competition. Uh, they'd never finished higher than, uh, they'd finished 14th, 10th, 6th, lost in a playoff, 10th and 11th in their first five years, the Raiders, and then come third in 1987 with 34 points with a 15-9 win-loss record. Um, but again, they had started to put the things in place that would make them a great side. Belcher um, had had come in 86, along with Steve Walters and Mal Meninga. Kevin Walters is on the bench. Uh, Daly and Lazarus are on new substitutes. All the, all the pieces are there, but this is one year too early for them. Yeah, very much so. It's the, one of the first things you notice is that, I guess, having watched them play in this grand final and you go, oh, you know, I wonder what happens next for Canberra. Um, it's not... 
hard to see at all how they go on to, you know, in two years' time, they go on a run of three straight grand finals. And when you think that you run through this team and they don't have Lazarus or Daly playing, I know they're, they're on yeah. the bench, but they're not playing. Ricky Stewart isn't playing, isn't there yet. Brad Clyde isn't there yet. And they also don't have Chica. Yeah. Um, I think you're sort of entitled when you make a grand final, if you say, hey, in two years' time, you're yeah. going to have Laurie Daly, Glenn Lazarus, Ricky Stewart, Brad Clyde and Chica Ferguson. You're going to be a reasonable show going one better, I think that's right. You sort of it's add not four, a bad going. Jesus. Sort of four of the best <laughs> players ever to have played in their positions all come into your side. Uh, and Chica. And, well, yeah. <laughs> Um, no, I was in, I was including Chicker in that. Ah, um, who are you leaving out? Clyde, Sticky, Loz, uh, Loz and uh, Lazo. Oh, well, five. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Five of yeah. the best players ever in their positions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is a... It, it's a funny sort of game, as you say, because the, the, the Raiders just hang in. You know, Manly are all over them. Some of the football that Manly play in this game is unbelievable. It is as good as anything that I... I Bear with me here, but I've come out hard at the start and said it's some of the best football that's better than anything that's been played in our lifetime. I, that I think this is as good as anything that the late 90s, early 2000s Knights did. I think it's as good as anything that the 2005 Tigers did. It's just the ball is zinging. It's side to side. It's kicking on second tackle. It's offloading four or five times in the one play. Like It's majestic. Yeah, it's as good as any of that. It's as good as the um, the Roosters at the moment, the sort of yep. 2018 to 2020 Roosters who can just flick the switch. They're a different sort of side, but they, they flick a switch and just put 20 on in 10 minutes a lot of the time. And it's as good as anything they're doing. It's just um, beautiful football by very, very good rugby league players. Um, I'd like you to, I won't do it now. I'd like you to give me an opening later to talk about sort of halfbacks and, and five eights and things a little bit, yeah. just in how <laughs> I've got a real rant about how, reversed they've got it these days when you look at how these sides played and how manly side how backwards modern stuff is and just give me an opening on that later but you're exactly right the, the beauty of the movement of the ball cliff lyons this is his sort of magnum opus it's bloody wonderful um rowdy good to see rowdy in his prime we've seen geriatric <laughs> yes. um sort of like you know old man rowdy wearing the blue pants the blue, the blue tights <laughs> under the pants in the <laughs> mid 90s when in his sort of seagull crusher sort of days but um, it's very good to see him uh, mercur. I can see why the word mercurial was used for him. He was a lovely looking player, wasn't he? It was great oh, to watch was, him play. He was, he was magnificent. Beautiful. You, you watch. Yeah. You watch um, I, I love those type of fullbacks from the, which which really existed in that era. Those elusive, those beautiful kind of sideways, like, like lateral movement fullbacks that, like Gary Jack, is. A little, he reminded me a little bit of Gary Jack the way that he ran the ball. Um, he, he'd have made it today in today's game as a fullback too. He was very clever. He had that lovely running, like you say, and the, the movement. He had, had that lovely – he had the poise of movement and the balance that sort of your Haynes and Lockyers have. You know those guys yeah. who move with that balance. But he also he, – he, he kicked a lot and quite well for the era because just one thing they weren't good at in the 80s is kicking. Everyone was terrible at it. But he was quite a good for the time, quite a good kicker of the football. Apparently no one until Ricky Stewart knew how to kick. But he, 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 yeah, he kicked well. He had a – he threw a a couple of long balls and we saw in the 90s when he played 5'8 he had a lot of time like he'd stop and turn it back inside and hit guys short so I reckon he's one of those guys that um, a lot of guys wouldn't play the same position now because the game's changed so much but he's one I reckon that really with all that skill set would have really made a modern fullback a guy who yeah. could link, link and pass run himself kick you know I think yeah, he'd he had right some up of those, today's guys yeah yeah he had some of those half 
half kind of skills as mm. well as the yep. pace and, and uh, agility yep. of the modern fullback. Yeah, he was marvellous. Um, and Cliffy Lyons, we'll talk about him in a bit of detail later on, but he is just... I Let me put this to you. Um, mm. I know I'm big on the hyperbole today, but mm. I, I, I've watched, you know, 25 years of grand finals. Yeah. I don't think I've seen a single performance as dominant as that in a grand final. He, yeah, like, you, did, you did get out of the bed on the right, right side yeah, this yeah. morning, haven't you? You're oh, in a good right. I, 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 really, I was really overs <laughs> on this game. I really enjoyed it. But no, further, I, I'm happy no, to be I agree. Here, I, agree. But I, no? I don't remember seeing a single player stand out this much in a grand final. Like he makes five, no. six line breaks, sets scores a try, sets up a try. Like, yeah, I, I'm going through them. Um, not in. I haven't seen a dominant one in the older ones we've watched. I'm going through back in my memory at the moment. Um, no, I can't really. I think. Um, I mean, like Luke Keary was very good in the Roosters one where Cronk was injured. That was probably mm. a, one that stood out a, a lot. I, I think Cliffy's would shade that. I'd be happy. I'd be happy to say Cliffy's was better. But that's probably the modern one. Apart from that, you know, a lot of the time these days they just give it to the sort of best player that's in the game, regardless of what they do. You know, like yeah. Thurston won one where he wasn't that good. Joey won one where Ben Kennedy should have won it. You know, Talis won one where. There was probably guys like Tony Carroll will probably, but like they tend to just give it these days to the yeah, one of the best the, the, players the names, that happens yeah. to play. Yeah, um, and but this was one of these games where this was like you see people play games like this over a season and it gets everyone excited, but you don't see someone do it in a grand final no. very often. You know, you get a game like this and everyone goes gaga during yeah. the season, but this he did it just. It's very rare that that game is the grand final because you're playing against one of the other best teams in the competition on a day where no one's ever off. They're always keyed up. They're ready to go. It's very rare that you could dominate against such a good opposition on such a big stage because you just don't catch anyone asleep on this day. Everyone shows up ready to go. You're playing another great side. And to make this many breaks and yeah, yeah. assists he just, and half breaks, it's unbelievable, isn't he it? He just it's slices just them open, slices them open. And he had this way of running with the ball where, and, and, and this, you know, where he would just, might, I, I said to him, I, was talking to my father through the. I said, "What do you think? What were you a fan of Cliffy Lyons?" He said, "Oh, he said he just used to run around in circles." <laughs> <laughs> he did, yeah. <laughs> he did. He kind of. He just would stay alive, keep away from the defence, and wait for something to open up. And he'd be going sideways, back this way, back that way. He used to. Did you notice how many times he passed, turning himself 180 degrees, passing with his from his left hand side to the right? Um, yeah. Yeah, he sets up a try in the '97 Grand Final at the age of 35 and a half, with one of the most exquisite versions of that you've ever seen for Shannon Nevin. He he, he gets the ball in '97 and is running yes. across the field and completely like he completely turns his body like he's about 35 and a half years old off the bench running across the field and just turns his entire body around to hit the guy back on the inside where there's just yawning gaps like unbelievable and he does that in this game because those sorts of Memories of Cliffy are clearer for me. With my, like that's yeah. when I was young, quite old Cliffy. It was still brilliant, but he just did that to death. This game where he's running across the field and then he turns his whole body around, and you got no idea whether he passed it. And sometimes he always did it right. Like when he did pass, it was into a gap, and when he held it, he ran into a gap. He just always seemed to know when to give it, when to turn it inside, when to go outside. If very few players turn the ball inside as much as he did ever, mm. I would say. Ever, yeah, you're right. And he always got it right. Oh, it's just he's. Um, I'm trying to think of a um of a player 
to, you know, we like to sort of, if someone's listening to this that wouldn't have ever seen Cliffy Lyons, like how do you put him in today's game? Um, yeah. He's much better than this player, but the one that comes to mind is probably Cody Walker. Yeah, it's not a bad shout. Off the cuff. He, he was a really off the cuff. He wasn't a big guy. He does stuff off the top of his head. He, it, a lot of it looks like that run in circles is, is good from your dad because it's sort of, it's right. Like you see some stuff and it looks chancy, but it's just that he keeps doing it every week. Like you go, that looks chancy or that was weird or, you know, I don't know that that's repeatable, but it is. And that, Cody's yeah. got a bit of that. Like mm-hmm. you see Cody score these tries or set up these tries where you go, oh, come on. That was just sort of a bit, bit lucky. But it's like, 20 times a season and that, that's that's yeah there's a bit of that like just that really off the cuff stuff he was a much better player than cody walker but that's probably the style i guess yeah that's, that's a good shout. yeah that's true it's just like stay alive stay alive wait for something to wait for something to happen just eyes up where's the where's the gap where's the space yeah um very very, very few people are as good as finding the space though yes he waits for it and he looks for it but the timing the ability to actually oh the, he's his passing is exquisite. He throws a ball early in this game for O'Connor Long, where it just gets him on the outside of his man and puts the winger away, where you just go, oh, wow. And next time he gets at that spot, he turns his whole body around and puts a guy on the inside for a hole. And the third time he runs through the hole and he runs on the inside or he goes around his man, it's just, oh, his sense of when to do what, it's just wonderful. Just a natural football player. Yeah, it was it was a real joy. It was a real joy to watch him. It was one of the reasons yeah. we picked this game because manly people and, and people who watched a lot of football in the eighties, in particular, in the early nineties, say, "Oh, Cliffy Lyons is very," you know, people don't remember how good he was. Um, so we, we, I'm glad that we, I'm glad that we put this on. Um, the, the the game is uh, the the NRL have put these grand finals up on their website, and thankfully on this occasion, they have included. Uh, a bit of the pre-game and the post-match presentation. Um, I'm going to tell you, Gazzy, I to seeing when they when they announce the national anthem will be performed by Julie Anthony. Oh yeah, it, just, <laughs> it, just, it took me to another place. Yeah, and she she comes out in this bizarre kind of wide-shouldered thing, this jacket. And absolutely belts out the national anthem with all of the Julie Anthony kind of nonsense, like the big over the top, big holding of the notes and all this. And I'm thinking, oh, this is, you know, this is such an era, such a period of Australian history summed up here. And then Rex, Rex Mossop, did you get onto this? It says, <laughs> yeah. I took a, I took a, uh, a very uh, detailed note of what he said. He said, well, I've heard them all, all sing, a whole heap of singers sing the national anthem. That's the one. That's the yardstick by which others should be measured. <laughs> I love the concept that he's uh, he's heard them all. Like he, yeah. of all people that have heard singing voices in Australia, he can like, pick like, on. He only calls rugby league. Like yeah. the only people he's hauled is whatever moron they've dragged out to sing it in a grand final. Like he hasn't heard it's anyone else like, sing. Like, how he goes to the opera, for example. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's very good. It's, very like, good. it's, it's, it's the that... biggest cliche in the world to yes. think that she's the best singer. Like, that's just it's no bigger cliche than to talk her up as the anthem singer. That was it, isn't it? It's like whenever Julie Anthony sung the national anthem, you had to say she does the best rendition. And rendition is only, you only really hear the word rendition in relation to the national anthem. People don't yeah. say it about any other, apart from Frank Hyde saying, I'll now leave you with my rendition of Danny Boy. You never hear anyone say it. <laughs> Um, no, my my um my I, I went to the I went to every football game that the Knights played at home with my grandparents for about oh, 
25 years yeah. and every like my granddad would have judged every anthem very similarly like like in, in the rec sort of way he would sit there and after everyone he'd be like nah that was no good this one was good and he would always get yeah, likewise he would always compare it Julie, but he'd be like yeah you know like she's the best i've heard and then be like nah this one today was no good it was too you know it was too flat or there was too much flair or too much this and that yeah. and then Really? <laughs> it's gone from the game, isn't it? Like you don't it see is. people of our generation talk anthem. No, because I think what's happened now is that the grand final anthem is generally sung by someone who is a client of whoever is sponsoring the match. So you get yeah. like such and such who's got a record out on Sony Records or such and such from The Voice or you know what I mean? Like there's, it's yeah. kind of the, the anthem has become a bit of a commercial vehicle. Whereas back in those days, it was very earnest that we need to get Julie Anthony because yeah. we need to do it justice. <laughs> it's just real yeah. sense that, you know. Um, the, the other thing about the pregame is apparently the pre-match show on the field, which is not included in the, uh, mm. the video, uh, is were Navy apprentices building a model Sydney Harbour Bridge. Yeah, I was devastated that wasn't on there because I've heard a lot about this and I was yeah. really keen to get a look. Bridge, Navy bridge building exercises. Jesus, that'll bring the punters back. Haven't, yeah. we, got, haven't we strayed from that as the high water? Absolutely, we have. That is no. the yardstick by which others should be measured, if I can borrow a phrase from Rex <laughs> Oh, yeah. Getting this like Chris Isaacs nonsense, Billy Joel or whatever his name, Billy Idol, yeah. sorry, and all this nonsense. When yeah. Bridge building, that's what people want to see. That is what they want to see. The bridge Navy building. at work. Military bridge building and big tellies is the that's the sort of yeah. stuff that's going to get people back. Well, you got um, to remember this was still the Cold War wasn't over at this point. This was sending a message to Russia. That's like, true. Navy building exercise. Yeah, GZ and Ruben would have been just at home, kind of really, yeah. <laughs> really shaking as a sort of twelve-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Australia's got some military might. Yeah, my people were in trouble there. Um, mm. the, the other thing, they really botch the so. This is they don't do it anymore, sadly. But they try to do to call the players out by number in number order, mm. and like each yep. one runs out individually. And they try to do it for Manly, and and Manly completely botch it because Fatty's leading them out with Cliffy just behind him. And so they call yep. number one, and he's not at the front, <laughs> and so they just abandon it and read the whole team out as they run out onto the field. And then Canberra very thoughtfully do it properly. Um, there was a there's a wonderful kind of lack of polish to all of this. And he's just well, did you, did you get posting. on the music? No. While that's happening, the music in the background, while they're calling the names, they got the, they got that really fanfarey sort yeah, of yeah, like yeah. music going while they're calling the na- while they're calling the names out. Very, that really adds to it too, especially when they're getting them wrong. Yes, exactly. There's just no there's there's no kind of clinical uh, precision about any of this stuff it's just yeah. people in clipboards kind of ordering each other about and confusion reigning yeah. you know um and rex the, the, the commentary for this game is rex mossop graham hughes dave fordham on the sideline and then peter sterling and wayne pierce with special comments very few special comments i should say but mm. uh when all the pre-match palaver is over uh the moose says well we've had the flags they've gone down the ladies are leaving the field we're going to get to the business end of the afternoon it's good that I don't think he's got much time for the pregame apart from the anthem. I didn't. I didn't get that sense. He then says he also showed. Oh, you've you've got it going. Yeah, he he yeah. he starts getting very agitated about the amount of balloons and suggests mm. that they might be in, like they might be being sent up to interfere. They might interfere with seven four sevens that are flying over the ground. <laughs> yeah. And then he says he's just got this. He's got this this lexicon that I've never heard. He says. The amount of inflated balloonage that's gone up from here this afternoon is astronomical. 
set me off inflated balloonage. Like, yeah, you're the only <laughs> other person who talks like that. That's why you That's like so... it. Like in the whole world, they're the only other tosser who speaks in that way. <laughs> just, 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 he just had this way of organising the language. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it doesn't make it a lot of it. I've got a few moose comments through the game, and I, but like, very early on, Sam Bacco makes a run, and he says, "Someone, whoever the dummy half is, tobacco." And Bacco meets his Waterloo. <laughs> you know what? You know what? One I've got on him immediately. Yeah. I just think it was the funniest start to the game I've ever heard. Is that he starts speculating about nerves about a second into the game, and then to start a grand final, keeping yep. in mind how hard they tried to that today to contort it into a contest and to yep. maintain interest, he starts with predict. He immediately predicts that he goes, oh, there's going to be some nerves. There'll be drop balls, kicks out on the full. It's all going to happen. <laughs> what a way to sell the game. Are the two best teams in the competition together? And he starts immediately predicting that there'll be a heap of drop ball and kicks out on the full. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't that sell the contest? Yeah. This will be good. I look forward <laughs> to watching this. <laughs> yeah, he really writes Camber off really early in the second half too. Hey, um, you know another good one for the pregame, just before yes. we jump in? It's just, I just want to make an observation. I know it was a hot day, but you know what you saw there that you just don't see today? And it was a really common thing in the 80s and it was really big in cricket as well. You just saw, like, back in those days, you just saw a lot of shirtless people. Like, you'd never see that today, yeah. no matter what the weather's doing. Like, cricket was the same. You're just constantly shirtless people in bucket hats. And at rugby league and cricket games and stubbies, yeah. At that era, they were just everywhere. And there was a very high proportion of shirtless people that you would just never see now, no matter what weather the weather was doing. No, that's It's a real true. common 80s thing, isn't it? It is. You're absolutely, you see, you see a lot in cricket footage from the 80s, like people yeah. on the hill, all with their kits off, very, very brown. Um, the... It's apparently it was apparently very unseasonably hot um, on this day, and you see that in the fact that the lime green raiders turned into the bottle green raiders because they're absolutely right. sweating through their jerseys within the first twenty minutes, uh, and there is a lot of talk about the heat. the The thing that's interesting, you, you see a lot of shirtless people, but you also during the national anthem uh, see a cut to an old man in a safari suit. It's <laughs> good. Though. It's really yeah. <laughs> again. It's really kind of. Uh, it's a wonderful cut. Like if you were trying to explain Australia in the eighties, I think the Julie Anthony anthem singing, the bloke in the, the, the shirtless people, the bloke in the safari suit, and then Bob Hawke, who's filmed at one point up in the grandstand smoking a cigar. Um, yeah. yeah, there's a lot. It's it's quite a good little microcosm. There's not much left, is there? That's no. Yeah. You know the other thing, um, <clears throat> a lot of speculation about what how many points on the breeze. Uh, and the, yeah, and Dave Fordham suggests it's about a two to four point breeze. <laughs> and Moose comes in and says, oh, wouldn't be any more than two. It's basically, uh, what does he say? It's basically an irrelevance. Yeah, well, I mean, it's always an irrelevance unless it's about 60 kilometres. And they're constantly trying to put points on it. It's one of the stupid rugby league gambits that survives to this day. Uh, unless it is howling in one direction, there's just no points on the breeze. I just don't buy it. I don't think it makes any difference. No, the insistence think, of rugby league to talk about the fact that it might is, and putting the actual point value. The suggestion of a two, point, yeah. two to four point breeze. Like it's just, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, the, the early exchanges of this game, are, uh, Can- Canberra do have the better of it right at the start. They seem to, they come out very brightly. They defend really well and they get a couple of looks at the manly line. 
Yeah, well, I think that all comes back to not to come back onto kicking again, but mainly for no reason, just basically kick the ball on the first tackle, second tackle from their try line, give it to the Raiders on halfway and do that about two or three times quite early in the game and give Canberra all the running. And I know we don't need to go back through this every episode, but I just don't get why they kick early all the time. I know we had one of our listeners write to us that, you could strike for the ball back then. So you Mm. could lose possession, but I've now watched about four games from the eighties and I can't recall ever actually seeing someone pull that off. I I don't think we've watched a game yet where someone actually has stolen the ball through striking from Mark. Um, So in four full important games, I've not seen it happen and they kick early. Like he kicks the, but like Shearer kicks the ball from 10 out and gives it to Beltran halfway. And that's very much how they end up with that mo. And then they kick yeah. it again and it goes to about halfway. And Belcher just won't play ball by kicking it back pointlessly. He sort of goes, well, no, we might just have it. And yeah. they, they do that a couple of times and they get that run. But it just comes back to, I just I understand that you can kick early and that that's what they do in rugby union, the sport we moved away from 80 years ago. But I just don't get it. I don't get it at all. It took a long time to go away all of that, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Um, it, they, do you see how much pressure they put themselves under by doing yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Belcher yeah. feigns to kick it back early on. One of the first kicks yeah, down from there. halfway. Yeah, kind of shapes it from halfway, which was fairly exciting. Um, Why? Thought, Don't tell me we're going to have a kicking duel in the grand final. Goodness me. I got up um, to, yeah. I got yeah. right up for that possibility. There's also, there is a, we, we talk about, to go back to our long-running theme of the accord, that both sides will just try things on all through the game, no matter yeah. the circumstances. Um, this The accord is very much in place here. And, it is well shown by the fact that Dale Shearer, uh, from about 40 out, chips and chases off a scrum. It's beautiful, too. It's yeah. Beautiful. has to nearly be rushed dead. It. Yeah, he does nearly yeah. get it. It has to be rushed dead. Play. It happens a couple of times. They do it again later on. Uh, but some of the football that Davis, the manly winger, just takes on his opposing winger, like gets shown the, the sideline, just goes it and gets bundled out at the last ditch, you know, like on about a one metre blindside. Um, on halfway at best. It's not yeah, like he's yeah, yeah. trial line. Like he's, he's nowhere. It's not a good place to turn the, the ball over. It's wonderful. And then in the 16th minute, there is this gorgeous play by Manly uh, where Cliffy carves them open on the left-hand side, turns the defenders inside out. There are about three defenders around him. And then he somehow does a little circle and ends up clear of all of them. Gives it to Cleal. Uh, Cleal passes to Hasler uh, and it's forward. And Hasler is away under the posts and they pull it back. Uh, and Manly, it is a shame. They really robbed. There's a couple of times where they have near tries that are called back um, that yeah. would have been great grand final tries. Uh, but the, but that's by this stage, after after Canberra have uh, pushed fairly hard in the first 10 minutes, by that stage, Manly are starting to open them up. And the pattern of the game that pretty much continues for the rest of the game is is, is set in place. Yeah. Yeah, the pattern's just Cliffy making line breaks. <laughs> yeah, Arthur Manly. I, we've talked a lot about. Oh. we've talked a lot about the backs, aren't the Manly forwards just superb? Um, Cleal has a phenomenal game. Cleal yeah, has as a real a, game crusher. As a running forward, like getting into space, playing in support, hitting gaps. Um, yeah, Ward is superb. The English front rower. Mm. Um, the the. Uh, the, Daly's good too. Yeah, Daly's good. Yep. Um, Vorton's good. Yeah, they're, they're um, a tremendous pack of forwards. You can see how they were so dominant in the competition that year with those yeah, forwards plowing yeah. on and then that amount of flare out in the backs. Absolutely. Crusher, um, Crusher 
was pretty much bouncing out of the first tackle. Whenever he ran the ball, the first guy sort of bounced off him. Um, you know, like he was clever and he could run in holes and stuff. But when he ran, he, he the first guy to come and put contact on him just tended to bounce off. That was that real bounce, you're off. And the next two or three, you'd have to put him down while his legs were still pumping. Mm. It was a really dominant sort of, um, you know, in the modern lexicon of uh, post-contact meters, Crush oh, was yeah. making a lot. Yeah, like really, he was the one that once he hit the tackle, there was a lot of keep going big time. A lot of our, uh, we put the we put the big league program up from this match on the Facebook page through the week and a few people got in touch and, you know, we asked what people remembered and a few said, uh, mentioned Kevin Ward, uh, the English front rower or back rower who uh, played for Manly from rounds 13 to 24. So came over at the end of the English season, played rounds 13 to 24 and then came back, went back to England to start the season with his club back at home and then flew back in the week of the grand final, Chicka Ferguson style, to, uh, to play for Manly in this game. And despite the fact that it's a very hot day, plays 80 minutes in the forwards, uh, as does Fatty Vorton. It's a fair effort, isn't it? Yeah, it's a fair effort coming out from north of England. Yeah, yeah, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, there's a big bloke in the 80s. It's, yeah. um, they're all got jobs and working casually. It's not, not a bad effort to jump off the plane and do that. Absolutely. He had a good game too. He's very strong. Uh, the, the first try is in the 26th minute. It's Cliffy off the scrum. That By this stage, Manly have been really camped on the Raiders' line for a few minutes and like repeated sets of six, six uh, the grubbers in the in goal, all that sort of thing. And uh, it's Cliffy lines off a scrum who gets it 20 out. Uh, swivels past O'Sullivan, steps Belcher the other way and goes over uh, to get the first points. Uh, a graphic comes up on the screen saying that he's a seller man, um, <laughs> which is good to know. Um, O'Connor kicks the goal and it's 6-0 I wouldn't mind having a beer I wouldn't mind, you know, getting Cliffy Popping me up a beer which No, I don't reckon It'd be pretty good Uh, And Graham Hughes, who barely says anything during this game Because he's completely drowned out by Rex Mossop But he 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 does, I think, the earliest ever Example Of Mm. need to be the next to score That was lovely, I'm glad you picked up on that It's bloody 6-0 It's it's six nil after half an hour. Yeah. It says, well, if the Raiders aren't the next to score, they won't win. I've never heard yeah. it that early before in, in with regard to the score all the time. No score and time six six nil first half, plenty of time. Uh, you'd think to maybe find two tries. Yeah. Um, mm. and like good even luck. if they let the next one in. <laughs> yeah, they sort of might have still been okay. Uh, you know who else was good? Uh, Brent Todd talking about forwards. Brent Todd for the Raiders throws a couple of beautiful uh, inside uh, around the corner port passes and that sort of thing. He throws one to Jackson just after the Manly try, uh, and Jackson goes rom- like really romping into space and gives it to Meninga, who's dragged down about ten yards out. Um, mm. the, it, it is quite a good battle in the forwards, isn't it? The, the, you can see there's players on both. Like Sam Bacco in a beaten side is really good. Brent Todd is really good. Um, it, it's a it, it's a real ding dong. Yep, yep. He was good in the other green, the 89 grand final too. Um, he was really good. Uh, that's sort of two games we've watched now where Brent Todd's been pretty good. He stood up to, you know, obviously when he played Balmain, he was playing some pretty reasonable players. He had a good game in that one and he had a good game in this one, which is really strong. So he's really impressed me in the games we've watched. Uh, Bacco was, was really good. Um, he's one of those guys that like is reasonably well remembered um, compared to say his record isn't quite like as outstanding as some of the other guys. And I know a few guys... 
Um, I was listening to a podcast the other day where Blocker spoke about him actually talking about a front rowers in the 80s and just said, oh, he sort of could have been anything and was when he wanted to be, but just wasn't that, you know, never really wanted to dominate as much as he could. Like, you know, he doesn't have a 10-year yeah. career where he's achieved all this, but he says when he wanted to, and he was certainly that good when he was at his best, playing his best footy, he was as good as anyone going around. And that's a fair rap from a guy like Blocker to talking about front rowers. You know, if you're getting tipped up by by Blocker as being one of the guys that's up there, I reckon that's a pretty good shout. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah absolutely. Uh, Brent Todd is subject to one of the great, possibly one of the best pieces of commentary I've ever heard. Um, mm. Here's Todd. Daly's over the top of him like an avenging angel. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, what does that's that mean? Well, again, it's just, this is why the reason you like him is just because, again, like this is the sort of elongated rubbish you come out with. Like, only you and I him talk like this. I just, <laughs> like, maybe that is what I just. Yeah, it, it's wonderful, though. I, I quite enjoyed it. It's that, that's just mad, like over the top, like an yeah. avenging angel in a rugby league game in the eight. Like, it's totally un, unhinged from any sense yeah. of reality. Yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. Uh, did you it's, find, um, yeah. Go on. No, you go on. I, I was just going to say, did you find it difficult? Was there something odd about, and I don't know if it's because the match was at the cricket ground, and we, we should mention this is the last grand final that was ever played at the cricket ground, and thanks to uh, recent political developments, it, it, it will remain the last ever grand final played at the cricket ground, one hopes. Uh, did you find it a bit difficult to work out where they were on the field? I don't, yeah, know, if it's, yeah. I don't know if it's because the lines weren't numbered or because of that there was something weird about the camera angles that I often thought they were on halfway and they were actually on the 20 and stuff like that. It was quite... Um, yeah, they, they had an attack. They kicked for touch once or something and they said, oh, they're on the attacking quarter line. And I was like, I thought they were on halfway. Like, I was like, what? Where's mm. the quarter? But they were. Yeah, it was bad. The field was also in terrible condition. It's like yeah. really brown in the middle and like lacking any grass. But no, I did have that problem as well a few times. I didn't think about it, but now you mention it a few times, I was confused. That I didn't realise they were on the attack when they, they were. I thought they were sort of on halfway. I think the attack, it's funny, the attacks, like they set the back lines really deep and sometimes the cameras set very deep to show these elaborate backline plays that mean you barely see the defence the yeah. defense line or where they are. You can only see like 10 metres behind the play of the ball where it's all happening and you don't really see the referee. and the. You could never tell if someone was offside, for example. You can't tell where they... Uh, whereas these days you can see you, they set the camera up so you can start whinging that the other teams jump the ten and stuff. Well, you, you that, couldn't see stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. And the way the way the game has changed over the last particularly twenty years, um, it's become a lot better for TV, hasn't it? Because yeah, everything is now in two pretty straight lines. People play flat at the line and that sort of thing. Like you don't get, um, it, it's a lot easier to follow on telly. And it now, I mean, rugby is now the perfect TV game because everything happens um, within. The, you know, the one kind of, uh, what would you call it? Like the parameters of one camera. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's very rare that they miss anything on the camera these days. Like everything sort of tends to, you tend to capture everything. Uh, they go into, somehow Manly only go into half time at 6-0, despite having just broken them open at will for the last 20 minutes of the half. But the, I, I want to focus on the last play of the half. Mm. Uh it's a play the ball on the Canberra 40 uh, midfield, right in the middle of the field. Hasler at dummy half, runs towards the left wing, gives it to Cleal. Cleal beats three, gives it back inside to Hasler. Uh, Hasler then gives it to O'Connor after turning in a circle. O'Connor gives it to Shaw. Shaw gives it to Lyons. Lyons beats one, passes to Shearer. 
Shearer gives it to Ronson on the right wing. So they've gone middle to the left, all the way over to the right. Ronson kicks it back in field and Kinner from Canberra snatches it right as Davis is closing into Nabbit. Um, that's the kind of football they play. Nearly that play, right on the stroke of half time, sums it up. Yeah, it illustrates the whole half. It's wonderful football. One of the things I meant to say about the Cliffy try that sort of illustrates it is that if I was putting together a highlights package of Cliffy's half, the try is about the fourth best thing he does. Like, <laughs> yeah. And he scores himself off a scrum, beating about four people. But honestly, like he does so many things that there's probably three or four things that are more exciting that he does than scoring the try. Like that's how good the football is that you could just, it's not the best thing he does in the half. This play at the end's wonderful. There's a million line breaks all off Cliffy turning the ball inside or yeah. throwing it long or going himself. It, it, it's, it's just, it is champagne football. It's fantastic. The Canberra missed 20 tackles in the first half. Um, and you couldn't, <laughs> this is going to sound idiotic, but they missed 20 tackles, but they haven't, it doesn't feel like they've defended badly. Just, well, of course they haven't. It's 6-0 when they've let in about seven line braces. Yeah. They, they should have been out by 20. They yeah. did really well. Um, one of the really great things is one, I forget which moronic side commentator just gets this big speculation going, going, oh, I don't understand why they keep getting beaten out on that edge. They keep getting beaten out on this edge. Uh, Peter Sterling, can you tell, are they a player short? Is a man not there? Like what's happening? <laughs> and Sterling just with really short thrift goes, well, I think the problem's Cliff Lyons. He keeps sort of running through right. them. They need to sort of stop letting him. Like, this is, like, I don't understand. They get on this really wild gambit of, I can't, what the hell's gone wrong with Canberra's edge? Are they missing a player? Is something going wrong? And you're like, well, I think anyone who knew anything about rugby league could have seen that Cliff Lyons, like, you know, as we know now, one of the most outstanding players of his sort of era, was just carving them up. They weren't doing anything wrong. They, they just, he was just beautifully dazzling them with passing and running. It was a very weird take that they took on that. And Sterlo rightfully just sort of shut it the hell down. <laughs> yeah, because they, they don't really have any trouble getting numbers there, Canberra. The, the numbers just can't do anything when they get there because he just kind of but, twists around and goes past them. Yeah, outside, inside. He throws long balls past them. He throws short balls past them. He goes in and away past them and he turns the ball back on the inside past them. He just beats them. It's just yeah. too good. Yeah, I don't... Um, one more moment from the first half, uh, which I, I think we do need to mention. I don't know if you caught this, but you could hear a little bit of the PA. Um, yeah. Did you hear them announce a Mr. Adam Gilchrist, please go to the main gate? Yes, I did. Yes. Good. Yeah, Good. I did. I, I, I didn't think I did. I started to think I'd misheard it. No. Well, I, then I started to work out how old Gilly would have been in 89, 87. Yeah. So I think what we need to do, and we'll try and get some closure on this, but I think one of it, I think we're going to have to tweet at Adam Gilchrist and ask if he was there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because he might have been, oh, I don't know, 15, maybe? Yeah, yeah we'll get Flossie's shoe to tweet him. We'll see how it's that something goes. like that, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, tweet that, at him and see if he was there. Yeah, that, that's a I, real question. It is, because if Gilly was mentioned in, a, in the 87 grand final coverage, and I just think that, that that's a point of historical interest that needs to be shared with the world. Well, it takes it to the next level from great grand final to sort of ultimate grand final. Exactly. Sort of Adam Gilchrist, sort of the most wonderful cricketer of all time in the crowd. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's everything. Watching Cliff Lyons. That's a I'd, I'd also like to know that's why. That's your favourite weekend, hanging out with Cliff Lyons and Adam Gilchrist. That's not bad. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. But I just think, you know, if you... Mm. I, I would well, he's also from like, New South Wales. He's not yeah, from yeah. Perth originally. He was a New South Wales boy. I'd like to know why. Well, I'd also like to know why he was put over the PA. What, was, what, was, what happened? 
you know. Yeah, skipped skipped off from his dad and was out in the hills somewhere or something. Possibly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know, but that's a, that's an unanswered question out of this game, which I hope to get some closure on. Uh, the second half begins, shall we say, inauspiciously for for Manly uh, for Canberra uh, because they completely botch the kickoff, and then Belcher runs behind one of his own players, and Manly get a penalty in front of the posts. So having done all well, this work to get the six nil. Yeah, this is my moose moment, this the oh, yes. commentary of this incident. Um, I think it's one of the most bizarre pieces of commentary I, I've ever heard. Yes. So I couldn't quite tell what the penalty was for just because I didn't get a good look at the shepherd first up. Yeah. And he go and they, they blow this penalty and he goes, oh, oh, yeah, look, I was loath to call it. I was loath to call it <laughs> because I, I didn't want to believe what I was seeing. I was loath to call it. I didn't want to believe what I was seeing. But, yep, oh, you know, it was a penalty. That was an absolutely sickening shepherd, an absolutely sickening <laughs> shepherd. You hate to see that on grand final day. And I'm going, what? Like, the way he was going on, like, oh, like I thought he'd trip someone. Like, I thought it was against man. Like, he's going, oh, oh, I was loath to call it. You, d- you didn't want to see it uh, in a grand final. It's absolutely sickening. And I thought, oh, okay, has he called it? I, I was thinking when Belcher's running across the in goal, because he beat a few Manly players, I'm thinking, oh, someone stuck their foot out or something, like, on the trip. Like, yeah. you know, he's hyping up this incident. Have you ever heard anyone describe a shepherd as being absolutely sickening and the sort of incident you loathe to commentate because you just don't want to believe what he said? I think he said, I didn't want to believe what I was seeing. I Have yeah. you ever heard a shepherd, which is not a dirty piece of play in any way, it's just no. a mistake. It's not like foul play. It's not unsportsmanlike. It's just sort of <laughs> against the rules. Have you ever heard someone commentate a shepherd in that way? No, and I've I've never heard a shepherd uh, sort of responded to with such moral alarm. Yeah, you know, sickening, kind of, sickening. Like it's really moral cast panic. Red under the bed stuff. It's gone. <laughs> it's really cast a pall. It's really like cast a pall yeah. the whole day. Oh, didn't it? Left a poor taste and really overshadowed the grand final, overshadowed yeah. Cliffy's day. This attempted yeah. shepherd that was called up and dealt with quickly. Yeah, I, that, it was very odd. Um, he, this is the, yeah. I was glad that you finally got a Moose experience. I know that you, the, the couple of games that we've watched um, with, from this era, I think like one of us has watched them on the, with the new commentary yeah. and one's watched it with the original commentary. I'm glad that you've had the, the Mosp experience. It felt quite selfish that I was the only one getting it. Because you get to experience yeah. the unique madness. Um, yeah, he's demented. It's just yeah. like listening to you call the, the the John's Daily Cup. I mean, if anyone well, hasn't heard that, I yeah. recommend it. That uh, my co-colleague does call the the Daily John's Cup now and again on on big money from the country rugby league, and I assure you, it's a very similar experience to this. Yeah, thanks, thanks, mate. Um, no worries. Yeah, free the, plug. The, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> Canberra then get a penalty in the forty seventh minute. To go eight two, yeah. uh, and and it is the result of one of the wildest head highs, and again, so just to, and to put this in context, Rex has said that the uh, the shepherd was sickening, and a terrible thing to happen <laughs> yeah. on Grand Final day. Mm. Peter Jackson passes to Meninga. He makes a break. He gives it to Meninga. Meninga gives it back to him, and he just gets absolutely hard, like absolutely coat hanging around the neck. Mm-hmm. Absolutely clobbered, just like sickening mm. coat hanger. And Moose says, yes, well, it looks like it was around the chest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, two, there's two things to this. Firstly, um, there is nothing better. But my note on this, what, there is nothing better in rugby league. There's nothing more joyous than old rugby league men complaining that, like, 
high shots have bounced off the chest, like really mounted high shots. It's just old blokes going, no, it's come off of his chest. You always hear, even today, you hear anyone who's been retired for more than 20 years thinks any high tackle that's called today was off the chest and a bit yeah. soft. You um, also he could have like, killed him. <laughs> it was a horrific, horrible yeah. tackle. Like quite, yeah, it was horrific. Yeah. Um, but you also you don't, don't see it. enough coat hangers now, do you? Like, uh, you don't... It's unfortunately gone from the sport, like really yeah. demented yeah. coat hangers. Like, <laughs> it is. <laughs> you know, you also hear a bit of talk now. I don't know if it was such an issue back then, but you hear a lot of talk now that if if there's a high shot that it bounced up off the ball. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which, yeah. Which I think is, I think it's basically scientifically baseless. Like I don't yeah. think there's a physical explanation for the like an arm bouncing up a football into someone's <laughs> yeah. head. And You'd I think have to swing it very hard at a precise angle, wouldn't you? Yeah. I think if you if it does bounce up off the ball, you've still I think you've you've still done the wrong thing in at least in some way by stiff arming that hard. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But um, yeah, that's a good game, Jacko. By the way, it um, does, he showed a couple of really nice touches. Yeah, it's um. There's a couple of things just on Canberra. Just while we're there, just might be an all right time to do. You mentioned the forwards were good. Um, I I just wanted to say I, I thought Jacko showed a lot of class again, and we've now seen a couple of Jacko games where he certainly um showed that class. He has moments in, in the games we've watched where he just shows his ability and does some really clever things. Oh, yeah. I maintain he'd be a fullback now. I maintain that he, the way he runs wide and tight and kicks a bit and, and passes. He's a really nice player. You know, I, I, at the risk of getting a little bit of hate mail, Come can on. I just say, all right. I know where this uh, is going. Look, I'm, going to, I'm going to be a little bit, I'm just, I'm going to prefix this. I'm going to talk about Mal Meninga and I'm going yep. to cover my bases here and say that three games is not a great sample size and yep. that he's playing in this game with a broken arm, having missed most of the season. But, yep. all right. So Mal Meninga's an immortal. Yeah. And we're just going to call it like we see it. I wasn't around Come for on, his career. Let's have it. Uh, right, I've seen, okay. I've seen him play three games now. Mm-hmm. All right. And he's an immortal. He's played two very famous grand finals and a very famous test match. We've, played, we've, we've watched the 89 grand final, the 87 grand final, and we watched the New Zealand, the, 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 the test match with um, the first test and yep. with Olsen Filipana. Um, Mal Meninga has not had any impact on any of those games and done anything. He ankle tapped Mick O'Neill when he was beaten cold in the 89 grand final. And otherwise, he has not had any impact in three very large games in the peak of his career. I'm yet to watch the 90s yet, but he was quite old in the 90s. His peak football was probably around this time. And I'm, I'm not I'm, I'm not shitbagging him. I'm just saying, and I call what I say, I've watched three games and he has not done anything to date in any of them. Given that he is an immortal, I probably would have expected to notice him more. And if I didn't know who he was, I wouldn't have made my run sheet as having... Gee, he was all right in any of the three games we've watched so far. And again, I know he was injured in this guy coming off an injury. He was a bit unfit. I'm just going to call it how I said it. I just haven't seen anything from him yet. That was no. very good. I had the same thought. <clears throat> um, yeah, no, I agree. He, he, he's done not much of anything um, mm. in those three games. Maybe there are others. Uh, but yeah, you would They're see... big games though. You, know, you, you, would, think, like, you, you yeah. would think that we've seen two of the five grand finals that he played in. At a better time in his in his career, uh, yeah. you, you you would think that yeah, um, that's and a I, test yeah. match like a close test match that they pull yep. out of jail. You sort of think like that test match we watched Wally Lewis pulled it out of his backside, having not had a great game. He won the game and he's an immortal. And you go, all right, geez, they were in a close game and Wally did this. And I just I haven't seen a lot from Mal yet. I, I've heard a few people say about Mal that one of the reasons he's immortalised is just 
how long he played. Like he, he was so, like a test level player for a lot longer than most people. He captained Australia for a long time. He was mm. in a premiership side for a long time. And a couple of them said the knock is, to be honest, I don't know that he was ever actually the dominant immortal that the other guys were. Like Wally Lewis dominated origin. Andrew Johns had a few years where he was just untouchable as the best player in, in the world. The Dragons guys won 11 <laughs> yeah. finals. Uh, and they, a few people that I respect football-wise have said Mal was excellent over a long period, but there's not actually any point where he was the best centre for a long time, but there's not a point where you'd go, geez, this was his time where he was that good at that yeah. level. And, and I, I, again, I, I haven't seen enough of him. I'm not writing that off, but I just would have maybe expected in two grand finals and a key important test match that we might have seen his impact a little bit more than we have so far. You can direct your hate mail to uh, Rugby League Cemetery on Facebook. Uh, if you would like to argue the point, if you think that Mal Meninga was, uh, should have been an immortal uh, and that Gazzy... No, I'm, not saying he shouldn't, and, 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 I'm not saying he shouldn't have been an immortal. I don't remember making that comment. Yeah. I just said that I've, only, I've watched three games, the three important games, and he hasn't had any influence in them. No, I and I don't think I, anyone could argue. If anyone watched these three games, I don't think anyone would come back at me and say that he was a particularly important figure in these three games. I don't think anyone would say that, no matter how much they like him. Yeah, I, don't think, no, I, I think this is fair comment. I'm just saying yeah. that if there are people yeah. at home listening to this who are throwing mm. things at their phone, um, mm. saying this bloke's a clown doesn't know what he's talking about, uh, the Rugby League Cemetery Facebook is the place to go uh, to air mm. those views. Uh, I think that's fair. Yeah, so I look forward to that through the week. Um, he does kick a goal here to go 8-2 to, to mm-hmm. behind. Rex says this kick will get them back on level terms in terms of how they were when they went to the half-time break. That's an incredibly contorted way of saying this kick will put them within a converted try. Yeah. Or take it back to a converted try. Like he's contorted a really sensible rugby league trope, which is to saying this gets it back to a converted try, or you know, back to a try the difference, and just contorts it into this demented twenty yeah. word, you know, <laughs> puzzle that you have to work your way through. Again, very John's Daily Cup commentary he, style. He, can I say Rex Mossop commentates like Cliff Lyons runs the ball in circles, <laughs> it's like constantly yeah. sideways and around and around. There's no. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's, there's very pompous circles. Like, it's yeah. very, the language is just so flowery. Yeah, quite needlessly so. Uh, you know, yeah. I found out a really good story about him the other day. You know, oh, a yes. really good cracker about him. Yeah, yeah. So, in the big leagues, um, in the 90s and stuff, they were asked to nominate their favourite tries of all time, all these players and commentators. And bloody Rex has tossed out this try by George Piggins where he ran 20 <laughs> metres. <laughs> It's very funny. All these people are talking about these exquisite long-range tries and different stuff. Apparently, Rex is tossed out. For what <laughs> like reason? George, George, I don't know. He must just like George Pickens. I don't know. It's just a sort of really like, I just think it goes to this dementedly twisted language where you can see him coming up with some contorting the best try question and coming up with a 20-meter sort of Pickens barge over is just, it, like, yeah. it just illustrates what he was like because some of these comments are just, just it's bizarre. Yeah. He's just off his head. It's bizarre, yeah. Um, can we talk for a second? This might be a good time uh, mm. to talk a little bit about... Now, we've had quite a few people uh, on Facebook and, and in person talk about Manly being a bit shifty during this game with the use of the blood bin and something which they keep referring to during the commentary as the head bin, which I was not aware that they had a head bin in this era. Um, but there was a suggestion that Manly abused it to get people on and off the field. Um, mm. You, you've now watched the game and you were kind of tipped up in advance that that was, a, that was an argument. Have you, have you got a view? 
Um, I'd be more inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt until I remembered Bozo was coaching. Because sure. like, Bozo is a wonderful coach and a real sort of see you next Tuesday. Like a real, if anyone's yes. going to be pulling off this sort of stuff, it would be like, he was a genuine, like anything goes coaching, you know, like abusing the crap out of referees and little edges. I have no doubt he would do that. I'll only say that I reckon, um, I reckon Rambo was out cold several times. Repeatedly. I, I think, yeah. I, I don't think, take... I think, I think the shiftiness was putting him back on. <laughs> I'm taking him on. Um, the, the, the thing that, yeah, because he, goes off twice with the head bin and then comes back on. And the talk amongst the commentators is that he's like, he shouldn't be on the field. Like even in the eighties, they're saying this is, I don't yeah. know why he's out there. He's got the jelly legs. Um, yeah. And they're like, not worried about his health. They're worried about him dropping the ball, but yeah, it's yes. Um, no, <laughs> they're worried about the like manly losing, like losing possession. Not so much that he might be like getting a severe brain injury and can't count to 10 in 20 years, but <laughs> nonetheless, they're on a very vaguely the right track. He shouldn't be on the field, um, albeit for the incorrect reasons, but no, I, I, I'm prepared to give them that one. I, I Cleal, look, they brought on a very fast footwork player. Yeah. Um, into the just, halves on just, attack sure, just, when they were tired. They brought him on. They seem to be moving Hazlitt a lock forward, which is, you know, you wouldn't see much of that these days. Like, it's hard to imagine Luke Keary going to lock forward when they bring, like, Lock and Lamb on or something. like it. But anyway, it, it's they keep bringing on this nifty, shifty, sort of fleet-footed half player into the middle and taking off big lumbering forwards for short rests. Yes. And Rambo was out cold. I'll give them that one. Um, Cleal, I... I have just got a feeling that they leave him off at the end to try and get rid of the accusation that they were doing this because they leave mm. him off for the last five minutes and he goes, oh, yeah, the doc said I couldn't go back on. And I just don't really believe that in the 80s that like he was talking fine, he was walking fine, he had a great game. I don't really believe that the doctor ruled him out for head reasons if he let Rambo back on. That seems no. to me to be cover for the fact they gave him a couple of spells, brought the fast guy on, and I reckon that they just left him off the last five minutes and had him say, yeah, the doc said I can't go back to... I reckon great... they're covering the fact they'll give him a spell. Do you know what I mean? It's I, a fantastic him... interview that he gives on the sideline. Yeah. They interview him with a few yeah. minutes left in the game, and he mm. says, yeah, I, was bu- I got a bump in the head. I was knocked a bit silly. I was, I was actually knocked out in the first half, and I, I really haven't been able to see since. So... I, I, Realistically, I couldn't go back on. Yeah, I, I just... He doesn't look as bad. I, I just don't really understand if he got ruled out how they were letting Rambo back on. I don't really get it. I don't think that makes sense. No, you know what I mean? No, not overly. Do you, do you disagree with me? If no, it was someone I don't. else. No, I don't. I, it seems I, to you're me right. like the they Fulton were angle. Fulton, Fulton was notoriously uh, shifty and looking for an angle. And, you know, that was his job. But, um, yeah, it, you're right. It does make it more credible. Yeah, when you, when you realise that it was Bob Fulton and Manly, um, yeah, and, the and fact it goes that off. Paul Shaw Crusher goes off like three times. <clears throat> yeah, and all Paul Shaw yeah. keeps coming on and causing quite a lot of mayhem with his pace. Mm. Uh, yeah, you're right. It's uh, yeah. I think I think balance of probabilities. Yeah, I think we. I think Manly might have uh, might have pulled one off there. Yeah. 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 Um, so thank you, thank you for the people who made that point and uh, and made us keep an eye on that. 
Uh, hey, you know my favourite ever while we're on that? I don't know yes. if you ever heard this, but about 10 years ago now, in um, English rugby, there oh, was yes. a team suspended for fake blood capsules in their mouth to rot yes. the blood bin. So they were, getting, they were getting capsules, chewing the blood capsules and splattering blood out of their mouth, running off the field to get the free interchange and have a Wonderful. spell and got caught rot. Isn't that good? I like, you'd love to have seen that in the NRL. This is also a wonder they never did it. It's, yeah. This is a kind of economic innovation that, 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 that makes the world go round. Um, mm, there was yeah. another one in the NFL a few years ago. Remember Deflate Gate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they were. The, 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 I think it was the Patriots, wasn't it? They were using yeah, yeah, Tom Brady, de- yeah. using deflated footballs because they were easy mm. to catch or easy to throw or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was wonderful. It, you know, you you've got to encourage this kind of innovation in the game. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, now, and again, you know, we talk about comparing this manly side favourably to great sides of the past. You know, you think about we've took, <clears throat> we've we've laid the boot into Melbourne a couple of times over the last few weeks. You know, Melbourne's, Melbourne's form of cheating was financial. It's all kind of bookwork and pens and, you know, accountants and all this kind of business. Manly's idea of allegedly cheating was like bringing Ronnie Gibbs on when he didn't know where he was repeatedly, <laughs> taking him off and kind of, yeah. <laughs> and putting Des Hazard a lock. I just think that's got a lot more integrity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, in the, the Manly pretty much put this game beyond the Raiders in the between the 53rd and the 55th minute. They get a penalty goal in front to go 10-2, and then Michael O'Connor scores uh, off a kick from Dale Shearer, kind of from 20 out, which goes sideways. Rex, this is controversial because Rex calls Ronson as offside uh, and just stops calling the play, just assuming it's going to be called up. He's ah, oh, Ronson's offside. This will be called back, and of course it isn't, and they award the try. I can't see. I haven't been able to see a replay which shows where he was, so I don't know if he was offside. But Moose really stands his ground uh, and says, I'll swear he was offside and nobody would talk about a manly try in any other way than in graphically adjectival terms in great euphoria with the try being scored. But I can honestly say I thought that was an offside try. Yeah, I don't know what that means, actually. I'm not sure. If you could explain it to me, you're very welcome to. I don't quite understand it. I don't understand it either. But the, the concept of graphically adjectival terms in great euphoria is surely one of the great sequences is of he, words ever uttered. Is he saying they will speak about it happily because it's a try, but nonetheless, I think he was offside? Is that what he's saying? Yeah, I think, I think, what, he, I think what he might be saying is, because he was known to be a Manly fan, mm. I think what he might be saying is that it, like, even he, who would normally be very excited about a Manly try, thinks that it was offside. I reckon that's what he right. meant. Right, okay. Okay, gotcha. I think All that's right. well, what he meant, yeah. but I don't know. Uh, but they, they award it. It later becomes quite important, but that, that they do award it. But uh, Michael O'Connor, whose uh, occupation is listed as sales manager, uh, mm. kicks the goal and suddenly it's, what, 16-2. Uh, mm. and, and Manly are, uh, Manly are away. Uh, then they have a Cleal try disallowed for a forward pass. Uh, then in the 66th minute, there is a stunning try disallowed. Uh, I'll run you through this one again. This is Hasler from dummy half. He finds Shaw. Shaw inside to Williams. Offload to Lyons. Turn around ball to Hasler. Offload to Shaw to Lyons. Looped ball to O'Connor. O'Connor goes over to score and it's called back forward. Everything Not until sure that, it was either. No, neither am I. But everything until that Lyons pass was more or less in the middle of the field, like in the shadow of the goalposts. It's all up this furrow down the middle of the field. 
and these little short balls keep it alive, keep the ball alive, pass and move. It's gorgeous yeah. football again. And it's, again, shameful that it was called back. Yeah. In the 64th minute, Manly had made 15 handling errors and had been incredibly dominant in the game and scored two very good tries. That There is a sense that... I, I don't know. It's, it really belies the attitude now of minimising risk. If we just hold it, you know, the, the big, most important stat now in broadcast of football is all the completions. You just got to complete your sets, get to your fifth, get to your fifth. Mm. This is one of the great, like this is one of the most dominant premiership winning sides, six points clear on the ladder. They win the grand final quite comfortably. And in an hour of football, they drop the ball or thrown it forward 15 times because of the way they were playing. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Des Hasler should go back and watch that because he went through an obsessive stage of completions himself and he obviously forgot how they played. Um, but it, it, you're exactly right. And it, it, look, th- these stats, this isn't unique to that time. This bears out now. And I haven't done it for the last couple of years, but they, I, I dug some stuff up a few years ago. There was a time in the NRL under four years ago where the team that was coming last had the best completion rate in the competition. When Cronulla came last, they had the best completion rate in the competition. The Bulldogs at the moment, who have been in the bottom four for three years, have in the top three completion rates in the competition. It has nothing to do with it. You know what is good? When you play really aggressive attacking football and also don't drop it. That's great. If you complete 15 from 15, playing like the Roosters do at the moment, zipping it side to side, hitting Tedesco on the inside and all this stuff, that's great. If you play like this manly side and you don't make the 15 handling errors, of course that's really good. But you're much better to make the handling errors by yeah, playing good trying football. Because when do you something. play boring football, it doesn't tire anyone out. It doesn't create mistakes in the defensive line. You don't give yourself opportunities to score. The, the completion rate is secondary. You have to play the right style of football. And obviously, obviously, you do better if you don't drop the ball and throw it forward. Like, I mean, yeah. it's not... But, but you the, don't but coach the a style now. to not take risk. You coach the... You have to coach <laughs> them to execute good yeah, football, and to carry not to not threat. play it. This Manly side, yeah. they make a lot of mistakes. And it's, it's very, they make mistakes and they turn the ball over and there, there, are, there are kind of glitches in the system. But there is a lot, there's just so much threat, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's that, so that's much, exactly right. The way that they move the ball and the chances that they take, it only has to work a few times, you know? You only, yeah. if, you, if you score four tries in a rugby league game, most weeks you'll win, you know? Mm. And yeah. But but most teams, they they don't try to do that. They like now, um, they they just try to kind of minimise errors and and on that basis win win the game. And it doesn't work like that. And this no, is a great that, example. Yeah, it's a great example, and that's not a bad time um, for me naturally to raise just something I want to talk about, which is halfbacks. Um, yeah, sure. Look, this, the halfbacks. Uh, in this game, uh, uh, Hasler and Henjack. Um, Henjack noted. Um, yeah, you have a, Henjack's got a funny career because he plays in this grand final and he was quite a rated player. And um, he basically signs with the Knights for either eighty-eight or eighty-nine and reneges on it um, and bails. And can I just say, didn't that work out well? Because then Ricky Stewart came through think, with yeah. Laurie Daly and he basically never played. Like he, he was really quite a, a, a player with a bit of promise and he was quite a rated player. And, you know, it's be interesting <laughs> this what sort of career he would have had if he came to, to Newcastle and, and helped them be successful. But yeah. he sort of like really timed his run well by going, no, I really want to stick it out with Canberra. And then they sort of Ricky Stewart showed up and they were like, thanks for the loyalty, but sort of 
heave yeah, off. You, yeah, <laughs> off you go. But um, yeah, uh, anyway, uh, what, what I wanted to talk about is that uh, my point was neither Hasler or Henjak were outstanding in this game. Hasler had a good game, but they, you know, they weren't the story. Um, mm. But just watching an 80s game again, and we've watched a few, was what I wanted to talk about, is that I was watching Hasler's style of play, and he's a very run-first player and a threatening player, and he throws some nice long balls. And what, what I wanted to talk about is just my frustration with how backwards modern coaches have this position. And I hope we start to see it turn around now that we've got the six-again rule is making running the ball more exciting. But back in these days, back at this time, your halfback is a guy with an athletic threat. Hasler runs yeah. the ball and is dangerous and can pass. And as time goes on, a lot of these halfbacks develop a control element and a steering element to their game. We watched the 89 grand final. Ricky Stewart is a long passing threat and a big boot. And he learns later a bit more control of the football game. We've watched games in 97 and watched young Joey and 95. We watched young Joey in origin. You were talking about how it's so different to what you recall. He came in as a threatening player with a long pass and a great running game and developed that stuff. And that's what they used to do with those positions is you had watching these 80 games just keep driving at home. We watched Gibbs um, in the seventies. We watched Gibbs play. We've watched, you know, um, Clayton friend for New Zealand with his running threat. I watched Hasler in this game. And what I keep seeing is athletically gifted players who can bring something to the table that also happen to pass the ball and do the kicking. What they do now, and it's a real, it's what it's Cooper Cronk's fault because he's so good at steering a team around is that Cooper Cronk became this game managing steerer that everyone is trying to copy. And they're putting in guys, the halfbacks now are the least athletic and the most useless player in some teams on the field is they put these boring guys who don't have a step, who can't run, who don't have a long pass, who don't have a threatening kicking game. And they get them to stand in the middle and just shuffle the ball onto someone and to call unders like overs this play mm. that play and they just to pass the ball and these players back then learned control as they went but you used to put threat like this hustler goes to lock in the middle of the game because he's such a good runner of the ball and an athlete yeah. you can move him to lock forward in the middle of the game it, it, i just think they've gone so backwards in the sport for a long time mainly since cronk who was just so good at something that isn't copyable he's so good at stuff that you can't teach other halves to be like that where I just really feel this style of game and the way it was played, yes, this was Cliffy's day and Manly's backs got this done, but the, the style of football can be played because of how your halves work. You get the halfback and he's looking to run and looking to be dangerous and using his ability. So you're picking a guy with ability and talent in that position, not someone who you go, oh, God, he, all through the 17s and 19s, he really ran all the plays really well and he knows the plays and he steers people around. They get it so backwards that you've you got to get guys with athletic ability and talent, and then they need to learn that control and the structures as their careers go on. You can't just get guys with that just call plays and teach them to be threatening. It doesn't no. work. They never get any better. You can't you know, teach it backwards. You can't teach, you can't get a mature control guy and teach him talent and, and athleticism. No, it's got to be the other right. way around. It's absolutely right. And Hasler, um, Hasler's very good in this game. And he one was, of the things yeah. he really brings is just football sense. You know, he just knows... Yep. He gets into good positions and he finds players in better positions. Uh, I remember going to a Knights game uh, about five years ago when they were really at their lowest ebb and they had a lot of young guys and all of this. And they debuted uh, Brock Lamb and Jack Cogger in yep. the same. And they were, they were the halves against Cronulla, who ended up winning the premiership. Yep. And they got about 62 nil. 
Um, they got absolutely whipped. And this, this was a terrible Newcastle side and, and all of that. But um, the thing that I, I remember, I was sitting in the top tier of the grandstand. And so you get a really good view of how they're setting up when you're up high. Yeah. And Lamb and Cogger set up the defence, set up the attacks immaculately. They were both 19 and they, everybody was in the right positions. And <laughs> they, would, they were like sheepdogs around the field. They were ordering people into position. They were setting up. They were getting it. They were running these block plays. But they didn't do anything <laughs> because they, you know, but nothing came of it. But you could yeah. see, you could see the coaching so clearly in what they were doing mm-hmm. because it was all, um, it, it, it was all structure. They had this, they, they had the ability to build an attacking move through structure and through getting people into position. But once they got the ball, they, they didn't, they didn't have the kind of particularly common lamb had a little bit, but um, they, they didn't have the ability to do anything with the ball. But the fact that everyone was in the right position didn't matter because, you know. No, that, that's right. But, because it's not about putting all these people in the field and then getting it and passing it really early and everyone knows what you're going to do because it's a set play everyone's seen. It's about getting a guy... The, the fact that Hasler is a good runner of the football and has a good long ball, when he gets the ball and he's looking to run and doing this stuff, people worry about him. And that's what makes his long passing better. Um, that was like, like a guy like Jared Haynes, a great example. He was always, he always used to set up these overlap tries with long passes. And you know why it's not because he was some legendary pass for the ball. People were scared of him running because yeah. they thought they had to tackle him. And that's what halves have lost is that fullbacks still get that. You're scared of Tedesco running. So he sets up a, a long pass try, but what's happened with halves is that the more bland, useless players stand in the middle of the field who can't threaten you, the more you just stand out wide and watch for them to set the play up to hit their fast centre or their fullback. And you just wait for the play you know is coming and wait and wait and hit them. But when you have guys in the middle who are threatening and dangerous, you start going, yep, Munster's a good example. Munster's a really good runner and plays in the halves. Munster gets the ball and you go, oh, Jesus, we've got to watch Munster. He's going to step out. He's going to bust the tackles. Watch Munster. Watch Munster. You're threatening and worrying about Munster. Boom, short ball, try. Boom, long ball, try. And it brings brings your ability to set... The plays have threat because of the athleticism and threat that the actual halves bring and that is so dead at halfback now at 5-8 yeah. there's still some like Munster some but it is it is so Whiten's another good example Whiten isn't a particularly good passer at all but people are so worried now about him his strong robust running that if he gets it with a bit of mo you're so worried about that he can set up tries and yeah because everybody's holding off yeah and it is but the halfback position is more, it's just dead if you look yeah. at the halves but this is now, the point that i'm trying to make about the, yeah but the point that i was trying to make about cogger and lamb yeah. that day is that they were terribly outgunned that side right that yeah. that was they were against a side that was going on to win the comp and they were a side that won once all year um yeah but because of the strut that the way they were set up they were set up beautifully if they were the better side because they would have executed you know, mm. they would have got everybody in position to be better than the other. If yeah. they had the better players, they would have won the game because everybody was in the right positions to run textbook plays for the stronger team. Mm. But in a team that's totally outgunned, they, you can't, they were never going to win. Like that, that team is set up to lose because yeah. the, the, the way the halves play now is that they, they're set up so that the team plays to its ability. Mm. The, the the ability the combined ability of the players and no and absolutely no higher at any time, 
And the point about that is, is there's only ever three teams, maybe four in a season that have any hope of actually winning the competition. So you go in yeah. and you've always got 12 or 13 teams playing in a style of football that is incapable of getting them to play above what yeah. they've got. And it's just, I, I just, I, I'm sorry for taking us on that tangent. I've just watched a few old games and this one just rammed it home for me again that I just think they need to get back to picking. And hopefully the six again rule does that because you're starting to see some guys run the ball more and that's great. But I, mm. They need to get back to a level where what you're looking for is guys that are running threats or kicking threats or guys that have weapons playing at halfback that then, you know, can add to their game as they go and add that control and structure, not just picking these bland targets that are incapable of moving yeah. or changing the momentum of a game because it's just it's a, been a real cancer in the game. And, for and that's years. what it is. It, it sets up a process. It's, it, halves now are set up in a way that it, it is a process to arrive at the natural result between the two teams. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's set up so the team's set up now so that the better team, the team of the better players wins. Yeah. And if you're not one of those top four sides, then you're not going to do anything because you're never yeah, going to beat anyone right. who's better than you. Um, yeah. Now, uh, so the, Ra- uh, the Raiders fall behind to 16-2, but they get a bit of a second wind with 10 to go. They score a try through O'Sullivan. Uh, a few people through the week suggested that he, uh, this was a bit of clever work because he kind of feigned injury behind the play and then bobbed up to get the inside ball from Ivan Enjak out of dummy half. Uh, and he goes over to score. Uh, he is listed as age 28, occupation carpenter, Chris O'Sullivan. Um, Two good grand finals for him too. Yes. Yeah, yeah. he was. He was actually quite good on Peyton's side. He, he, uh, yeah. he ran the ball really well. Yep. Uh, Noel Cleal goes off at this point. There was some talk through this game that he didn't want to go off. Uh, and that he was refusing to go off. And Dave Fordham says, I wish he showed that sort of determination working at Channel 10. <laughs> it's a shame he didn't kick on with his media career, isn't it? You could see I, him really in front of camera. It really did raise the question of what Noel Clell did for Channel 10. Yeah. Was he holding yes. the boom mic or what, what was the... Male modelling. Yeah, I don't know. He doesn't strike me as a polished media performer. Even in the 80s, I think they might, they might have been better candidates. Well, you could see him doing sort of a fishing with ET sort of show, but with uh, the pig hunting. Yeah, pigging with, yeah, pigging with yeah. Crusher. Jeez, I yeah, yeah. yeah, just watching him gut bush pigs. Like out there, there'd be a lot of market for that. And so uh, another big landmark in the game with 10 minutes to go is that, or 15 minutes to go, uh, Brent Todd goes off and Cessnock's own Terry Regan comes onto the field. Uh, and doesn't Terry Regan run the ball with a bit of vim and vigour? He does, he does. He's, uh, I didn't realise he was from Cessnock. I would have paid uh, a bit closer attention, uh, but he did. He ran the ball very hard. Just yet another one from the great nursery of the Country Rugby League, uh, Terry Regan. He absolutely belts it back and, uh, and gets absolutely belted a few times because he's, 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 like he's running right into the teeth of a very good forward pack and gets absolutely slogged a few times. But uh, I just think it bears mentioning that there was a, a Cessnock influence in this game. Uh, the last 10 minutes after this, after the Raiders score, they do get a bit of a kick on uh, and have a chance uh, to get themselves right back into the game. They, they get a couple of sets on the manly line, but they don't score. There's a pass that's called back as forward. And, uh, and that's pretty much it. Uh, there's a Hasler try disallowed with a couple of minutes to go. I kind of get, they get a penalty uh, because Canberra, with two minutes to go, Canberra caught offside off their own 20-metre tap, which I thought was a nice touch. That's so funny. That's yeah. so funny. That'd be so calamitous if it happened today. Like, that'd be the front sort of page story. Like, it's just, it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. It's not great, is it? Um, mm. And so O'Connor kicks a goal on the siren and, the, and, and Manly win 18-8. Yep. And uh, look, 
scoreline flatters Canberra, but they probably deserve it because they they did really put their gloves up on their own try line and and work hard to get that result. But you know, Manly were, were superior; they were dominant. They deserved to win that game. They would have beaten most teams by a lot bigger a margin. It was a you know, it's a just a wonderful game of football, honestly. It was to watch play like that. Yeah, it was a real treat, wasn't it? You know, we were watching. Mm. Clo- you know, you see a lot of close games now, and you. And we've watched closer games than this that weren't enjoyable, that weren't as enjoyable. No, as, you know, of course we, not. Yeah, yeah, we, we've we've seen really dramatic games that aren't as kind of joyous as watching these very good players just yeah, yeah. work the ball around the field and um, mm. yeah, it's it's very it's very pretty and it was it was it's really enjoyable. Um, I tell you what else was uh, well, <laughs> we might have enjoyed it. Rex Mossop didn't enjoy it so much. Uh, it hasn't been a great grand final. Manly have gone walkabout in the second half. Yeah, he, you've told me before that he was bound. He gets a bit harsh on Manly, like yeah. feeling like he gets a bit bitter about them not performing. Um, yeah, that, that, that that's fairly harsh. You know, I like think they, that's they, fit, like yeah. yeah. And it's also, again, it goes to his commentary. Like, he starts the game by declaring that there'll probably be a lot of knock-ons and kicks out on the full, and he ends it by saying it was pretty much a shit game. You know, like, is, we've talked about this <laughs> before. <laughs> But we've talked about this before that there's no hype. They don't no. hype the game. They just they just play the game as it is. As they see what's it. going on. Yeah, I'm not sure he's right, but that's no. how he saw it, and that's what he calls. He doesn't just try and build a narrative that he doesn't believe in. I, I thought that in the lead up, even when they were running onto the ground, there was just so flat compared to like these days. There'd be this like boom, boom, in the background. They go, they're out on the field. Oh, this is the this injury, up. and yeah. yeah, yeah, all this, yeah, yeah, like all this like hype. And, 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 and really built up stuff wasn't there. And the game doesn't suffer for it at all. It, it really no, doesn't. because the game is good enough and the game should be, should be enough. Yeah, it is enough. Yeah. Yeah, you don't need all this mad hype. But people in the grandstand weren't any less excited about Manly winning. The people at the league's clubs, the people at the league's club weren't any less excited about Manly winning. Even when the lights went off early in the first half, I meant to mention that um, that in the pregame, I forgot to say that it's been a little while since we've watched an old grand final. Like we've been, we've had a few other games. Geez, it was good to see the Leagues Club. Yeah, the Canberra Leagues Club. There's some good footage of the Raiders Leagues Club uh, towards the end when uh, when they're obviously going. I think it might be after full time when they've they've lost, and there were a few people sitting in the front really despondent. And there are a couple of people, there are a couple of real louts up the back that are just obviously quite drunk and really carrying on, like jumping around like <laughs> nothing's happened, <laughs> which I think possibly would have ended in fisticuffs if there was anyone yeah. taking it very seriously. Um, yeah. Now, the, the post-match presentation, there's a lot to unpack here. I'm really glad that the NRL thought saw fit to put it up. Uh, I didn't the, watch it, so you'll have to take oh, me through Gazzy. it. Oh, Gazzy. I stopped at oh, full mate. time. Yeah. What have you done? Tim Webster, Master of Ceremonies. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't watch them now, so I just found it hard to... I, I couldn't sit myself through the 80s having... Like, I, don't, I couldn't watch it now. They yeah, didn't have Tim Webster. They, they had Tim Webster from... Do you remember no. Tim Webster used to read the, cha- the sports on Channel 10? A yeah. very youthful-looking Tim Webster. He's the MC of the, of the, uh, of the, the presentation. He talks a lot of, like, absolute rubbish. It's another great grand final between two wonderful... So, you know, the things they always say that they've written yeah. before the game. Uh, Uncle Wayne Bennett is there looking very, uh, very glum in his polo and trousers, uh, very yeah. displeased, walks up onto the dais with his arms folded to collect his medal, uh, which yeah, I good. think is you know, a sign of things to come. Uh, and then they hand over to Mr. Stan Costigan to present the runners-up medals. Uh, and it took a little while to work out who Stan Costigan was until, we, uh, until he started making his speech. And 
every sort of roughly 15 seconds drop the word Winfield. Yeah, yeah. Winfield sympathises with Canberra. They tried their best, they lost, but they were not defeated. Yeah, you know, another more accurate way they were defeated. Yeah, in sort of, it was 8-8. Um, he said Winfield approximately 10 times in the course of his speech. Then Arco, uh, Arco's very chuffed. He gets up. He He'd says beaten that record. He says Winfield quite a few times. Mm. Then he presents the Churchill Medal to Cliffy Lyons, who drops it on the podium. <laughs> <laughs> so he starts... 16th handling error. Oh, I'm very disappointed. Yeah, it's good from you. I'm very disappointed that you didn't... Because he, he gets up with this really mad grin... And he says, yeah, look, I'd just like to thank, hey, and he's, because he's dropped the medal. <laughs> so he just goes, hey. <laughs> and then he makes this really kind of, he makes this kind of dribbling speech where he thanks the manly sponsors, Wormald. Uh, <laughs> and he, <laughs> he sits down. It goes on for 10 minutes. And then the most popular prime minister in Australian history is called forward to, uh, to present to, to speak and to present the medals to the grand final winning side, Manly, and is booed all the way through his speech. Now, this yeah, is not I've in 87. The proudest, this is, I've said this to you before, this is Australia's proudest tradition, is yes. just shitbagging prime ministers for getting on stage at sporting events. Yes. So no Bob matter who Paul, they are. Yeah. And like Bob Hawke is beloved still by these same people who are at this game, right? It's like by the kind of... The, the kind of blue collar shirtless party. guys on the hill yeah yeah, yeah that, that, that was yeah. his demographic nobody has ever lent yeah. into that more than bob hawk nobody's ever kind of identified been identified with that mm. more than bob hawk as far as politicians go and he gets up and they don't just boo when his name is called they boo all the way through his speech <laughs> like they drown him out <laughs> and he kind of just stiff up the lips it and talks about, he thanks Channel 10 for their magnificent broadcast and stuff like that. Having um, been live at the ground and not seen Having it. been at the ground, yeah. <laughs> it was wonderful. And then they have to call Fatty Vorton up to collect the trophies from Bob Hawke. And it's a wonderful scene. Like, it's a wonderful kind of mix of Bob Hawke and, and Paul Vorton standing either side of the, the JJ yeah. Gilton and Shield. Yeah. That could have solved some world issues, couldn't it? If they got together, fantastic. More I'm going to put a screenshot of it up through the week because there's some of the image. It's, it's it's all very uncomfortable, and Fatty yeah. doesn't seem that kind of interested in meeting the PM. Um, no. Yeah, but then Bob Fulton and Fatty both give speeches. At Fulton's speech, he says something like, uh, "He says something like Canberra, you know, they did their best, uh, and and they deserve to be proud of themselves." Uh, but we've won and I'm absolutely chuffed, <laughs> he says, or I'm absolutely ecstatic. <laughs> and then Fatty, <laughs> Fatty gets up and says, well, Canberra almost produced a fairy tale finish. Unfortunately for them, the last page of the story has been ripped out. Very gracious. Yeah. <laughs> and all the Manly players are kind of laughing. Yeah, it's marvellous. Um, again, total lack of polish to any of it. You know, it's like the kind of presentations you see now at country rugby league grand final. You know, like Newcastle rugby. John's league. Daily Cup sort of. John's stuff, Daily yeah. Cup sort of. Yeah, that mm. kind of thing. Yeah, it, it was it was tremendous. I do you think? Uh, I think Cliff Lyons wins the Churchill. I don't think there's ever been a I, well, in the games that I've watched, in the grand mm. finals, I, and I'm only 28, but I don't remember a clearer kind of Churchill winner than this. Um, no. Uh, but he, you know, this possibly opens up a little bit to, to talk about his career. Uh, when you kind of look at what he achieved in the game, 
it's a fairly formidable record. 23 games oh, yeah. for North, 309 for Manly. Um, you know, two premierships, two Dally M's and a Churchill. It's pretty good going. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So he debuted for the Bears in 85. He played for Manly from 1986 to 1999. Yeah. He um, played in England as well. So all up, he has... I tried to look at his all up games. He played 350 plus some games for Leeds that they haven't got a number on. And at Leeds, he scored seven tries. So it's not like one or two games. He must have at least played a season or half a season. So yeah. 350 plus, say, 10, 15 games career. But there's a couple of things in it that make it particularly remarkable. I think. Um, firstly, so his Dally M, his Dally M comes, his first Dally M comes three years after this in 1990. Yeah. What's remarkable about that is, so he wins that at 29. So mm-hmm. keep in mind that he's 29 when he wins his first Dally M, but wins another one four years later. So yeah. he wins the Dally M at 29 and 33. He wins the Churchill at 27. He last plays for Manly at the age of 37 and 313 <laughs> days in yes. 1999. He retires reasonably unwillingly, goes to play in the bush where he continues to play A grade for Narrowena until 46. <laughs> he retires at the age of 46 and then goes into play touch football and Oztag. And as recently as 57 last year, he played in the Legends of League's League game and says that he doesn't want to quit yet and he's got a few more years left in <laughs> like to get to 60. Oh, that's marvellous. And six origins and six tests. So throwing that on the top that we go, two Delhi M's at Churchill, six origins, six tests, uh, played at 37 and 313 days, 350-plus games, played till 46 in the country and uh, is still playing in the Legends of League against, like, say, Wendell Saylor or, you know, Bobcat Ryan played in that. Bobcat Ryan retired, like, four years ago or something. Like, he was yeah. playing in South Newcastle a few years ago. It's mental. Yeah. Well, Bobcat Ryan like, would Cody have Cody Takiri played in that. Well, Bobcat <laughs> Ryan would have debuted after Cliff yeah. Lyons retired. Yeah. I would suggest. I, I reckon, yeah. I don't think I they reckon. would have, I reckon they, would, they wouldn't have played to get, like, in the same competition. I'll tell you some good chat about um, Cliffy in the Le- Legends of League. They interviewed him and asked if he wants to keep going. And he said he does, but he says he makes an effort not to be tackled now and he tends to hide behind Solomon Hamono. So I just think that, like, if anything's going to get me to go next year, because I haven't had the pleasure of going yet, it's the idea of Cliff Lyons and Solomon Hamono in tandem action. Like, that's going yeah, to get me to Solomon Hamono in the Tony Carroll bodyguard role, the sort of role. Yeah. We don't yeah. know if he's taking the, ple- the pleasure machine would be there too, by any chance, do it. Yeah, well, I don't know. I would like to think so. Um, you yeah. don't... <laughs> You don't hear enough talk about the pleasure machine anymore. That was one of Solomon Amono's better pieces of work. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, no, it's just a, it's just a tremendous career. Um, That's outstanding, and it doesn't World class. And manly people, you know, gripe a bit about this. I, I, they prob- they probably have a pretty fair point that it, 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 as well as you know, he's remembered as a good player, but he's kind of remembered now as much as anything else for how long he played and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that possibly obscures the fact that he was a top-level elite champion of of the of first grade for 10 years. Well, he played across a golden period, is the thing, is that if yeah. you look across the halves at the time, so when he, he used to boot in 85 and he's played 86, 87. So in the first part of his career, uh, Brett Kenny is still around, um, you know, yeah. and, and, and I mean, Wally Lewis as well for Australia, but Brett Kenny in New South Wales and Wally Lewis for Australia. So there's a couple of really good players that play his position that that are at that level. Terry Lamb comes through at a similar time. And Terry Lamb is a player who a lot of good judges will put as even more underrated than Cliff Lyons. It's sort of like Mm. him and Cliffy are the two forgotten 
guys that were absolutely elite. Um, Cliffy, so you throw, you know, Terry Lamb in in the 80s and 90s, and then you get Laurie Daly coming through in the early 90s, is that all of a sudden there just happens to be a time where there's a lot of other good 5.8s and a lot of world, like Brett Kenny's one of the greatest 5.8s of all time. Laurie Daly is one of the greatest 5.8s of all time. And Cliffy's whole career spans those two while also going through with Terry Lamb, who played almost, you know, probably the same amount of games and won. Terry Lamb had his two moments right at the end of his career, which stick in the memory a bit more. So he won comps in the 80s too, but he won a comp and made a grand final really late. So it sort of really jams that home that he was a key figure in those, or that cements his legacy. So when you look across all these players, you know, it, it probably the lack of rep football is why we don't elevate him when we should, because yeah. like, quite frankly, not getting past Laurie Daly doesn't make you, I mean, Rod Wishard played 20 origins, like the, but he didn't have to get past Laurie Daly. Cliffy did. Yeah. You can't say Rod Wishard's a, a better player <laughs> because he played more best. rep football. Rep football isn't everything. Being the second best 5'8", or even the third best at some stages, behind Terry Lamb was winning the player of the years as well at the same time Cliffy was. Laurie, when you look through those, those decades, you've got Terry Lamb winning the Daly M's, you've got Laurie Daly winning the Daly M's, and, and Cliffy. So you've got three players in the same position. That, like, When you look through the records, they're all winning players of the years and Churchills and all this stuff at various times or you know, best players. And then that really obscures the ones that don't get past Laurie or don't cast past Kenny Earlier's rep records. And that shouldn't tarnish what they did as players. And they're probably a lot better than a lot of guys with much longer rep careers. I, yeah. I think Terry Lamb actually refused to play rep footy at different points. So again, like that, that comes into it in the way Jamie Lyon suffered from that way later yeah. where his record doesn't stack up but that doesn't change what they did in club football and Cliffy I think uh, I just don't believe that those rep factors are enough to diminish him at all I just don't think not getting past Laurie Daly and Brett Kenny means anything because well because this know, was an era where <laughs> yeah. this is an era where being the second or third best 5-8 might still mean that you're in the top half a dozen players in the club well, one hundred percent, and for a long time, yeah. you know, like he's won a Churchill in eighty eighty seven. He's won Player of the Year in ninety and Player of the Year in ninety four. That's a long stretch of football. That's a long stretch of football where he's at the peak, and he wins the Churchill. Uh, sorry, the Daly M in ninety four. One thing that's remarkable about that is that was the zenith season of Canberra, like best mm. club season anyone's put together in a very very long time, and. It hasn't got the player of the season wasn't Ricky Stewart. It wasn't Laurie Daly. It was a 33-year-old Cliff Lyons who was a nifty, speedy 5'8", who was probably losing his pace and losing these things and was able yeah. to still be the best player in the competition. And, you know, individual awards aren't everything. Mainly the next two seasons, or the next three, but he was pretty gone in 97, playing off the bench a bit. But 95, 96, the year after he wins this, they're going to grand finals. So he's the 5'8 in a side that's, making grand finals at 34 and 35. He, he make plays, he sets up a try off the bench in a grand final at sort of 35 and a half. He, yeah. he stays really dominant and really influential for a very, very long time and played really good football at an older age. Won a, a, a you know, a Dally M when there was a team with a great five, eight and a great halfback dominating the competition. And it, it's, it's remarkable and, and it really, really should be celebrated. Mm. No, I, I agree. Um, it's yeah. He, you you can, you know, it's possible to have a uh, a great um, a great career. You know, it's it's almost there is a sense now that you know you 
you have to have been one of these kind of immortals. And, and I guess the Melbourne thing kind of obscures this a little bit because you've just had five guys retire or three or four guys retire who, you know, one state of origin eight years in a row and played in five grand finals and were very present. And, but you know, there are a lot of people uh, who might not be in the conversation for immortals who have still had like stunningly good careers and they get a little bit forgotten. There's a bit of a gap there between, but there's, there's a little bit of a gap directly under those guys who are really remembered as the best ever. Um, yeah, yeah but I think, I, I think Cliffy's kind of entitled to be remembered very, very well indeed. And uh, he certainly will be by me after watching this game. Uh, He's a roll gold, no question, Hall of Fame argument. Yeah, yeah. If, you him in, if you didn't put him in a Hall of Fame, then you don't understand football. Like, it's no yeah. questions asked in the top one of the greatest players in his position of all time. We don't have to sit here and make a list of 10 or 20. There's been 100 and plus years of the game and he'd be in the top you grab a handful of five eights and he's in the, you know, you grab a handful of names out of the pile. He's in it for best five yep. eights going around. Absolutely. Uh, this has been, this, this was very enjoyable. Uh, and it's just another mark, right? I, I feel a bit, I whenever I've watched one of these games from the eighties, and I know it wasn't perfect and there are some daft things about it and all that, but like I do, I do kind of mourn it a little bit because it was so exciting. There's just so much more, there were so many more variables. There were so many different things that could happen and did happen in the course of a game. Um, but it, it's a real treat watching it now. Uh, and I hope everybody at home uh, has enjoyed our little, uh, our little yarn about it. And I hope that a few people at home have watched it as well and been able to enjoy it for themselves. Gazzy, any final thoughts? No, I couldn't agree more. Great football, great time in the game. Great to watch Cliffy. And let's do it again. We shall. Until next time, from the Rugby League Cemetery, Morgan Campbell and Luke Garrity signing off. 10 metres out. Canberra would dearly love a win against the feed. We're not going to get it this time. Back to Shearer. Not the Lions. Lions has gone too strong. He's going to score. Yes, he is. It's a certain try. And a great try. He's left O'Sullivan on the ground behind him. But just too strong for the little fella. Cliffy Lions is the difference in the opening stanza for Manly.